Well, we are in the middle of a an eight-week series called the Beatitudes. We're in week five, and for eight weeks, uh, we've been taking a closer look at the Beatitudes taught by Jesus in Matthew chapter five. Now, there there are eight Beatitudes total, and uh, the Beatitudes they they give us God's formula for experiencing a kind of happiness, a kind of joy in our lives that is untouchable by the world. In fact, each beatitude starts or begins with the word blessed, and that's the Greek word makarios. It means happy or joy, a kind of joy that's untouchable by the world, untouchable by the the circumstances in our lives. Now, as we've read through the Beatitudes, I'm, I'm curious to uh, know, this is more of a rhetorical question, but something for you to think about. I'd be curious to know if, if you've noticed a pattern as we've read through these. So as I take a step back and look at each of the Beatitudes individually, um, I notice a, a natural pattern or progression that begins in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and works toward Matthew 5, Verse 10. So Matthew 5 3 is the week one, blessed are the poor in spirit. And Matthew 5 10 is at the very end of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And when I read the Beatitudes, I believe that this progression illustrates the spiritual growth or the journey in the life of a Christian. And I'll give you an example. In week one, we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. This would be the first step for any follower of Jesus. And that's because your relationship with Jesus starts by recognizing your need for God. And then in week two, we talked about blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. And we talked about how can someone be happy in mourning, and specifically the kind of mourning that Scripture talks about, mourning our own sin, And we talked about learning to view our lives how God views our lives. Learning to view the sin in our lives how God would view it. And learning to to deal with the sin in our lives how God would have us deal with it. So there's a natural progression in the Beatitudes. And this progression helps us understand how our relationship with Jesus is one that really does begin internally and then is lived out externally. It's lived out in our everyday lives. It's not just on Sundays when we come to church. It's not just when we're reading our Bible at home. It, it really does affect every part of who we are. We live it out in everyday life. And today's beatitude follows that progression. It helps move uh, from the issues of the human heart, which is where we see in the first four beatitudes, uh, to uh, more about how we respond to who Jesus is and how we live out our faith in everyday life. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 7. If you have your your smartphone, uh, if you have the Bible app, you can pull that out as well. And we'll also have the scripture up on the screen today. So Matthew chapter 5 verse 7 reads this way. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So when you read this beatitude, if you take just a step back, uh, given what we've learned in this series, you could also read it this way. Happy are the merciful, or happy are those who show mercy to others. So mercy in this context, and really throughout all of God's word, is an action. 
It's not just a feeling that we have. Jesus is talking about how we live out our faith and how we're merciful to other people. In fact, the Greek word for mercy is the word elias. And it has to do with how, as individuals, we respond to the the pain, the heartache, and the misery that people experience in this life. So Jesus is, is saying to his disciples and to us this morning, this is an attitude that God wants every person to have. And as we begin to show mercy towards others, as we learn to have mercy towards others, we experience happiness in our lives. We experience a kind of joy that's unchangeable by our worldly circumstances. Remember, the world tells us that happiness is is always circumstantial, that no matter what's going on in life, that has to affect our happiness. But Jesus says no. Joy and this kind of happiness is is not circumstantial. It's found in Christ, and it's found when we we put on Christ. We begin to live our lives like Jesus would have us live. So we're going to talk about mercy today, showing mercy uh, to others. So as we talk about showing mercy, I think we have to start with having a a solid foundation or, or groundwork for what mercy is and what it is not. So let's start with what mercy is not. First of all, as we, as we read through Scripture, I believe wholeheartedly that mercy is not just a feeling that we have. So, for example, you see a family member, a friend, a coworker, someone who's going through a difficult season. They're in pain. They're in heartache. They're, they have misery going on in their lives. Mercy is not standing back and just saying, I'm really sorry you're going through that, and then you leave it at that. And sometimes we'll say, I'm really sorry you're going through that, and I'll pray for you, right? And then we never pray for them. And that's not what mercy is. Mercy gets involved. Mercy is an action word. Mercy is also not random. You know, I believe with all my heart that there are people in our lives every single day that God wants us to extend mercy towards. And sometimes that takes a little bit of prayer and preparation and planning on our part so we can meet the need that we see. It's very intentional. Mercy is a very intentional thing. Also, mercy isn't reserved for just a few. And if you're anything like me, this is where I fall short in my own life. I have my circle of influence, the people that are in my life uh, every single day. And those are the people that I tend to uh, be merciful towards or sometimes not. And I tend to forget the people that I I come in contact with in a day-to-day basis that are not in that circle of influence. Mercy is not reserved for a few. Again, I believe that God puts people in our lives, whether we view it that way or not, um, intentionally so that we can show mercy towards, so that we can meet needs, so that we can be the hands and the feet of Jesus. So that's really more of what mercy is not. And if you notice, we, we also talked about what mercy is a little bit. But I would say this, that mercy, um, what mercy is, is first and foremost a characteristic or an attribute of God. Mercy is a characteristic or an attribute of God. In the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 136, verse 1, we read these words. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then most of, it will, most of us will read it this way. This is how I've read this verse forever. His faithful love endures forever. Um, the word love and, and mercy, you could also read his faithful mercy endures forever because in the Psalms specifically, uh, the word that, that is used for, for love and mercy is, is very much interchangeable. And, and in fact, these words are, are translated from the Hebrew word hesed, and it describes the, the characteristic or the attribute of God of being a loving God, of being a merciful God, but it also describes how you and I are called to extend love and mercy to other people. See, God's mercy um, is great. God's mercy is, is awesome. 
It's never ending. And, and as we go throughout God's word, there, there are actually words that are used as describing words for the mercy of God, as if that wasn't enough. Uh, so some of the words we see describing God's mercy and his character is that it's great, uh, that it's plentiful, that his mercy is tender, and it's, it's abundant. So again, we're presented with this truth that there's really no end to God's love and mercy. You could say it this way, that God's mercy is not in short supply. Um, scripture says that his mercies are new for us every single morning, every day. So that's mercy in the Old Testament, really. Let's talk about mercy in the New Testament, because we do see mercy show up quite a bit. Um, God often puts the words grace and mercy together, but they're not the same thing. So most of the Apostle Paul's writings uh, to the early church, to the New Testament church, they actually begin with the words grace and peace. So I would encourage you to go and look this up. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians. I mean, any, any letter that was written to the early church, it, end, it begins with, with grace and peace. But what's interesting, and, and I thought this was so neat this week when I saw this, that when he writes to the young pastor, Timothy, and his, these are pastoral letters, he adds a word. And can you guess what that word is? Mercy. Paul says, grace, mercy, and peace. And I was scratching my head. Why, why do you add this? It's got to be intentional. And then it hit me. So elders, this is for you. Leaders in the church, this is for you. I, I believe that maybe, maybe Paul's saying that pastors, elders, leaders, you should lead by example when it comes to mercy. You should lead by example when it comes to grace. You should lead by example when it comes to being peacemakers. And we're going to talk about that in a, in a, in a coming week. So if we're going to be people who purposefully show mercy to others. It's important for us to understand, again, what mercy is. And we've got to understand the difference between grace and mercy. I've got a definition that I'd like to throw on the screen. And we could describe grace this way, if you're taking notes, that grace could be described as getting something you don't deserve. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Uh, there's a perfect verse for this in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 9. Again, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the young pastor Timothy. He said, For God saved us and called us to a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it. See, there it is. Uh, getting something you, you don't deserve. You don't, you don't deserve this. Not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the, the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. So in my own life, I see that because of my sin, I don't deserve God's free gift of grace. I don't deserve his free gift of salvation and forgiveness, but because of his grace, he offers it to me anyway. It's getting something you, you don't deserve. Now, uh, mercy could be described as not getting what you do deserve. Not getting what you do deserve. So I'm going to have just a personal illustration for this. Uh, church is, is going to be done here in just a few minutes. We're going, to, we're going to leave. I could hop in my vehicle and decide to drive 50 miles an hour down the road over here uh, in a 25. Now, that would be stupid, all right? Just don't do that. But if I did and I got pulled over, I, I have every right, the cop has every right to give me a ticket, right? Because I broke the law. I decided to go 50 in a 25. But as he walks over... And he sees how handsome I am. He decides to, he decides to let me off with a warning. <laughs> he decides to let me off with a warning. And that would be an example of mercy. All right? It's not getting what you do deserve. I, I deserved 
the ticket, right? I deserved whatever, he could do whatever he wanted, and I would have to be okay with that. But if he chose to extend mercy and say, I'm going to let you off with a warning, that's, that's an example of mercy. You see, throughout God's word, mercy always deals with what we see with our own eyes of, of pain, misery, and distress in the lives of people. Grace always deals with sin. Um, one extends relief, and it's momentary relief, and the other extends full pardon, and that would be grace. Mercy uh, cures, helps, and heals, while grace cleanses and restores. On a practical level, if I had to have one sentence for what mercy is, this is what it would be in, in my life as I read Scripture. Mercy is showing compassion for others even when they don't deserve it. Now, a lot of us are great at that first part, right? Mercy is showing compassion to others. All right, I can do that. That's all we need today. Let's go. But the tagline is when they don't deserve it. Mercy is showing compassion to others even when they don't deserve it. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. There is a kind of happiness and a kind of joy um, that we can't experience anywhere else other than in Christ when we extend mercy to other people. And notice that Jesus never specifies the category of people that you and I are called to extend mercy to. And this is where I get hung up. He never does that. We're simply called to be merciful. The church is called to be merciful. There's not a specific category, a specific group. We don't get to choose that. God does. And he says, be a, be a merciful people. See, how we treat people, how we extend mercy is so important to God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, we read these words. See that no one pays back evil for evil. Man, that's hard. (laughs) It's really hard. But always try to do good to each other and, and to all people. See, this is how the Apostle Paul actually wraps up this particular letter. Go, go to 1 Thessalonians and look at the very end, and this is what you're going to see. And he does so by encouraging the church to extend kindness, love, and mercy to all people. It's interesting that he, he chose to wrap up this particular letter that way. In the book of James, chapter 2, verse 13, this is a really difficult verse. At least for me it is. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, period. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Hmm. So that's a little bit about what mercy is and what it isn't. And what I thought we would do today is is one of my favorite uh, styles of, of preaching, really, I'd like to go to the Old Testament. We haven't done that much in the, past few, in the past few months. And I want to look at three Old Testament stories that really show us um, what mercy looks like lived out in everyday life. And then once we do that, we'll come back, we'll kind of regroup, and, and then we'll talk about some practical ways that you and I can show mercy in our lives every single day. So the first one that we're going to look at this morning is Joseph's story. We'll have this up on the screen. If you're taking notes, this is where the first point comes from. So this is mercy shown in everyday life. This is Genesis 37 through 50. So we're going to read this verse by verse this morning, okay? Just seeing if you're still awake. We're not going to read it verse by verse. So in Joseph's story, we learn to show mercy even when you've been wronged. Show mercy even when you've been wronged. So as we read Joseph's story, we learn that if anyone had the right to return evil for evil, 
It was Joseph. You'll remember Joseph as, as the one with the amazing technicolor dream coat. All right, and, and scripture describes it as the coat of many colors. Joseph came from a large family. In fact, he was the youngest brother, and uh, his brothers just absolutely hated him. And one of the reasons is because uh, we read in God's word that Joseph's father uh, says that Joseph was his favorite son. So there was some sibling rivalry happening in this family. And it didn't stop there, though. It wasn't just like one of his brothers threw a toy at him or, you know, they wrestled a little bit. or It went way beyond that. In fact, we read that his brothers hated him so much that they conspired to kill him. They ended up throwing Joseph in a pit. And then when that didn't work out, out of the kindness of their heart, they decided to sell him into slavery. It wasn't very kind. (laughs) So Joseph, he experienced all, sort of, all sorts of pain, all sorts of misery and distress for a lot of years. In fact, while he was a slave in a man named Potiphar's house, Joseph was wrongly accused of rape by none other than Potiphar's wife. And because of this, he ended up spending 13 years in prison. Can you imagine being accused of something that you didn't do and spending 13 years in prison because of it? I think I would have a poor attitude I'd probably despise the world. I wouldn't want to see another person, probably, unless it was the people that loved me. But we read that Joseph, he maintained not only a good attitude, but he remained faithful to God throughout this entire extent of his time in prison. And what happens is God ends up promoting him to the second highest office in all of Egypt. Now, when he's in this office, one of the the main responsibilities that Joseph was given was the responsibility to oversee all of Egypt's food supply because they were in a time of great famine. So you would have people coming from all around because the the food was, was scarce. And they would come and they would ration out the food depending on the size of the family. So wouldn't you know, Joseph's family heard about this. They were running low on food and they decided to make the, the really long trip to Egypt because they needed food. And when they got there at first, um, they didn't recognize Joseph at first, and, and he didn't recognize them. But Joseph eventually revealed his identity. And when he did, he basically said this, hey, I'm your brother. Remember, I'm the one that you tried to kill. I'm the one you threw in a pit, the one that you sold into slavery. Now, if you can just put yourselves in the shoes of Joseph's brothers for a minute. All right, I, I imagine they're like, man, we're caught. All right, it's done. It's done for us. They must have been scared out of their mind. They must have been worried that something was going to happen to them and their families. They were reminded about everything they had done to Joseph. You see, being the second highest authority figure in all of Egypt, Joseph had the power and the authority to do whatever he wanted to do. He could have imprisoned them for double the amount of time they were in, that he was in prison. He could have had them executed. He could have sent for their families and had their entire family executed. He could have sent them away with no food. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. Joseph had the power to do whatever. But instead, he said that he wouldn't harm them, that he would only do good to them, that he wanted to give them all the food that they would ever need and a place to stay and live for their entire family. And then we get to a part of Scripture where There's a verse that has been read, and it echoes through the generations. In Genesis 50, verse 20, we read these words. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. What an attitude of mercy. 
Joseph had an attitude and a lifestyle of showing mercy, of extending mercy. Hear this, even when other people didn't deserve it. In doing so, he models what it looks like to show mercy, to have compassion on the lives of others, even when they don't deserve it. Church, you and I are called to show mercy even when we've been wronged. Again, we could stop right here and and have a a time to share this morning. I'm sure there are countless stories across this room about how you have been hurt over the years. But through the life of Joseph, we see how we're supposed to respond in those situations, how we're supposed to extend mercy. The second story that I want to look at is Abraham's story. This actually goes back a little bit further in Genesis. This is Genesis chapter 13, and it's in Abraham's story that we learn to show mercy in going the extra mile. Show mercy in going the extra mile. So in this section of scripture, God told Abraham, or Abram was his name at this point. We learn that his name is changed later on. God told Abram to pack up his family and move to an entirely new land. Now, that's a weird feeling, all right, when you're moving somewhere new. I remember talking with Faith and our boys about this idea that we're going to move from Oklahoma, which is really all most of them have ever known, to this new distant land. The people are different. They're going to treat us differently. They're strange. They talk weird. And <laughs> I, think, I think Abraham's was probably a little bit more scary than what we had to go through. So Abraham moved all of his family, all of his animals, his livestock, all of his possessions to a new land, the land of Canaan, which eventually became Israel. And this new land, it actually couldn't support both Abraham and his nephew Lot. So imagine you, you arrive and you've got your family and kind of your tribe, your tight unit, and then he's got his nephew Lot and all of his possessions, animals, and family, and the specific plot where they had arrived wasn't large enough to support them. So what happens? Well, they decide they have to go ahead and split up, uh, that someone's going to have to take one plot of land and the other is going to take the other, and uh, what happens is a, a group of, I don't know if it was just men or women or, or what, but it said a group of, of herdsmen started arguing about this, this disagreement. Who's going to get what piece of land? And, uh, you know, I don't want the small one. I want the larger one. I've gone this whole way. And you can only imagine how families fight at times, right? This is like a really bad Thanksgiving dinner times 10, okay? So there ended up being this argument, but this is so amazing. I want you to see how Abraham responds to this argument. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 8 and 9, this is what we read. Finally, Abram said to Lot, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of land you want, and we will separate. And then he says, if you want the land to the left, then I'll take the one to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the one on the left. Again, much like Joseph had kind of the power, it's really that, that meekness we talked about, that power under control that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Abraham, he could have said and, and done anything he, he wanted. He could have said, you know, I'm the one that God actually called. Remember that. Let's go back a few chapters. I'm the one that God called. We're here because of me. I'm the most important here. 
He could have thought, you know, why are people always taking advantage of me? I'm the consistent one. I'm the one always keeping my word and nobody else is. He could have said, why are people building their lives off of my success? I've made all the right steps and everybody else is prospering because of everything that I've done. He could have said and thought all of these different things. You know, and maybe you're in a similar situation today. Maybe with your family, your, your job, your, your work, or your, your, your friends. Maybe you're the person who's always willing to go the extra mile. So with your family, maybe you're the one who's always giving. We all have people like that in our families. That's a great thing. Maybe you're the one always, always giving and you're kind of overextending and nobody else gives in return. Or maybe at work, you're the one putting in the extra hours and that there are other people who are benefiting off of the work that you're doing and you just don't get the recognition for it. Maybe with your friends, you're the one who always keeps your plans. You know, you plan something way in advance, and then it seems like uh, the same day or just an hour before you're supposed to meet, uh, these friends that you have always, always cancel on you, and you're the consistent one. Maybe that's you. If that's you this morning, if you're the person who's always willing to go the extra mile and you just feel shortchanged, I want to share a verse with you from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. I want this to be encouragement for you this morning. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. This is one of those promises of God that we're talking about. See, Abraham's story reminds us that there is blessing in showing mercy. His story reminds us to show mercy in going the extra mile. Even if people are difficult, even if there's conflict in your family, I I struggle with this. And thankfully, in this season, you know, our family lives away from the rest of our family. I feel like I, I wouldn't be able to do this role as, as, as purposefully or, or as well as God wants me to because family is hard. You know, you, you talk about the church being difficult sometimes, but you, you, get, you get to meet with family on, on Christmas or Thanksgiving or just on the weekend, and you all have different ideas about the way the family should go, and it's just difficult. Sometimes our kids go in a different direction and our heart hurts for them. Our, cra- our grandkids make decisions and our, our heart hurts for them. Maybe our spouse is going through a season right now that is just difficult for us to watch. You know, Abraham's story reminds us to show mercy in going the extra mile. This doesn't mean that you're a, a pushover, but again, I think it echoes back to that, that meekness that we talked about. Having that power under control, allowing God to be the Lord of your life. To help you make those decisions. Show mercy in going the extra mile. The final story that we're going to talk about, and I think probably my favorite of the three, is Ruth's story. Um, Ruth is a, is a book in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament hero that we read about. And I, I read the book of Ruth uh, two weeks ago. There's only four chapters. And I just really felt like God put it on my heart that we need to uh, do a verse-by-verse study through this book. So I think we're going to do that in the fall um, because this is just such a wonderful book. But in Ruth's story, we learn to show mercy in doing acts of kindness. In doing acts of kindness. So, again, there's so much going on here. So we're going to have a bird's-eye view, uh, maybe a 30,000 feet in the air kind of looking down on this story. Um, Ruth had a mother-in-law whose name was Naomi, and um, she was an older woman who had just lost her husband. So you talk about that pain, that heartache, the misery that, that they must have been feeling. But that wasn't the only kind of pain and loss they were experiencing. You see, Naomi had two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and a woman named Orpha. 
And they both lived with Naomi during this time because both of their husbands had passed away as well. So you have these three widows living with one another, living in in the midst of pain, misery, and heartache. See, when Naomi's husband died, she told Ruth and Orpha that she was, it was time for her to return to her homeland, but that, uh, but that Ruth and Orpha should actually stay behind. They didn't have to stay with her any longer, and they should start rebuilding their lives. Uh, Orpha took this word, and, and she decided to follow it, and she left. She, she, she departed from Naomi, but Ruth, she actually kind of insisted and, and insisted upon staying with Naomi, and she wanted to stay with her and take care of her. But this is really out of the ordinary because Ruth was part of a different tribe. She was a part of a different clan. She was a Moabite woman, which means she worshipped different gods. They had, had a different set of values. Culturally, this just wouldn't have made sense for her to stay with Naomi. But she did anyway. And they made their way back to Naomi's uh, homeland in Canaan. And when they arrived, they realized they didn't have any money. They didn't have a way to, to survive. So Ruth actually steps up and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work for our family. I'm going to be the one that works out in the fields. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to collect the wheat or the grain. I'm going to make enough money so that we can survive. And this worked for a while. They actually had enough money to survive for a while. Uh, but then the money started running out. And God does something incredible. He does something so amazing. He decides to bless her. He sees her kindness It just blows my mind. See, he led a man named Boaz to leave an extra amount of wheat for Ruth, more than the normal amount. Now, again, this is like looking down from 30,000 feet in the air, so we're we're kind of skipping over a lot, but I want to tell you how the the story ends. It's such an amazing story. At the end, we learned that Boaz and Ruth, they actually get married. Um, Boaz was, was known as the family redeemer. And, and the way in which he went about marrying Ruth was actually a very honorable, and it's a pretty great story. So I encourage you to go home and read it. But here's what's so amazing. We learn that Ruth becomes the, the great-grandmother of King David, through whose lineage came our Savior, Jesus. How powerful is that? This woman who is from a different culture, a different society, a different upbringing, She ends up trusting the Lord. She ends up becoming the great-grandmother of David, which whose lineage came our Savior, Jesus. I'm just blown away by that. You know, church, I believe that God sees your acts of kindness. I do. I believe that he sees your acts of mercy, and I believe that he loves to bless our lives when we live in this way. Now, I have to be careful when I say that, because I don't believe that we, we serve a God that only blesses us when we do something. You see, uh, God's blessing is just a part of who he is. He loves to bless his people. He loves to do that. And, And sometimes that blessing looks differently, but the point is this, is that God has called us to live our lives in a certain way, to live our lives after, uh, to, to imitate the, the life of Jesus, to be followers of Jesus. And when we live our lives with love and compassion and mercy towards others, a natural response is blessing in our lives. We see that over and over again through the stories of Scripture. God sees your acts of kindness and mercy, and he loves to bless your life when you live that way. I believe God wants us to have an attitude and a lifestyle like Joseph. 
He wants us to have an attitude and a lifestyle like Abraham and like Ruth. We're called to show mercy even when we've been wronged. And that's so hard. But we have a great example in Scripture of how to do that. We're called to show mercy in going the extra mile. Even if you have people in your life that are just takers, and you want to be someone that, that, that is a giver, go that extra mile and extend mercy. And we should show mercy in doing acts of kindness, even when it doesn't seem logical. You think that sounded like the right life plan for Ruth? I don't think so. But somehow she trusted and she followed and she made the, the right decision. So we, we see in Scripture, just again, example after example of how, we're, of how mercy is lived out in the life of everyday people. So as we close today, I want to just spend a, a minute or two talking about what are some ways that we can practically show mercy to others in our lives today. The first thing is this, that I want to encourage you to relate to others on purpose. Okay, again, even in the church, we're all so different. Our, our attitudes, our characteristics are different. Our, our likes and our dislikes. And it's often easy to show mercy to people who we like. But it's hard to show mercy to people that we don't necessarily like or difficult people. We all have difficult people in our lives. Don't, don't look at the person to your left, all right? We all have difficult people in our lives. And I want to encourage you to relate to others on purpose. You see, Jesus told his disciples to love, to do good, to bless, and to pray for people even when they misuse you. And that should be the natural sp- response of the Christian. You know, if you put yourself in another person's shoes, it's easier to understand how to relate to that person, how to respond to that person, how to understand what it is they're going through. A lot of times we, we, we tend to judge from a surface level, and we don't get past those surface-level conversations to the real meat of someone's life. Let's be people who, who relate to others on purpose. And the second way is that we look for a way to serve at OCC. I love this one. Look for a way to serve at OCC. All right, you know, God wants every person to serve in and through the local church. He wants every person to be a kingdom worker, for you to use your gifts and your talents for the glory of God and for the benefit of the local church. You know, just just here, and I don't even have a full list with me this morning, but these are the things that came to mind. We have a children's ministry that is is growing. We've got new volunteers that are helping. We've got kids and families that are being involved in our church. The children's ministry is a great way to get involved. It's a great way. We have an education ministry that talks about what we learn in our small groups and our Sunday school classes. There's a pastoral care ministry that really takes seriously caring for the needs of others. There's a missions ministry that focuses on local missions, but also missions all across the world. And we, we have a mission of the month we talk about, but there's opportunities for you to actually go on mission trips, be involved in short-term or long-term missions. My hope is that some of you would, would, would rise up and say, you know what, I think God's calling me to be a missionary, and let's just send you off. Let's, let's, let's train you, let's equip you, and let's send you. You know, that would be so amazing. That's one way to serve. Another way is in the worship ministry. You saw some new faces up here this morning. And that's because we have some new people in our church that are wanting to be a part of the worship team. All of these areas are ways that you can be involved. You can be used by God to be a kingdom worker. And hear this. God will give you an avenue to extend mercy to other people within these roles. I think it's so amazing. You encounter people that you wouldn't normally encounter. And you have opportunities to love and have compassion for people that you wouldn't normally be able to love and have compassion for. 
I believe that every single person here today is uniquely gifted by God with a unique purpose for God. So let let this be a year for you of saying yes to being used by God. Let this be a year of you saying, you know what, God, I've sat on the sidelines too long. I've come and I've sat in a chair too long. And and for some of us, that's okay. That's the season that God has us in. But I also know for some of us, we just come and we sit and it's time to get involved. It's time to get on the team and, and participate and be active in what God is doing in and through the local church. Find a way to serve at OCC. The third thing, and we'll close with this, is do random acts of kindness. Again, Ruth's story just sticks out to me uh, in a major way. You know, I believe that God has you right where, you want, where, where he wants you for a reason and for a purpose. You might go to work every day and you struggle being around the, the coworkers that you have or you struggle with your, your mother-in-law. Maybe mother-in-laws can be difficult at times. You struggle with cousins and distant family members. You struggle with people in the church. You know what? Look at the stories of the lives of these people in Scripture. You think that they were in easy situations? God doesn't really use people in easy situations. That's just not how it works. You find yourself in a difficult season, and you learn to trust God, and you grow in faith, and he uses you in that season to make a difference for the glory of God. If you're in a difficult season, maybe change your viewpoint a little bit. Maybe change your attitude. That's really what the Beatitudes are about. You know, that's something we have control over is our attitude every single day. You know, your family, your job, your circle of friends are all settings where you can show mercy through random acts of kindness. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Begin to think about your own specific gifts and skill sets and find ways to love and show mercy to others in that way. So church, here's the charge today. Here's the charge for every single one of us individually and as the church that let's be known for a church, as, as a church who loves to extend mercy to others. Let's be known throughout our community. Let's be known uh, to families that don't even like going to church. They've been turned off and indifferent to, to Christ and the church. Let's be known as a church that loves to extend mercy. Again, this is a characteristic. It's an attribute of God. We read in God's word that his mercies are new for us every single day. Let's find ways to show mercy every single day as well. Matthew chapter 5 verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy.